Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. BYU football knows tradition. The 2022 season marks the 100th anniversary of this storied program. This fall, they will close out independence before they take off for Power 5 football in the Big 12. And they'll do it with a star quarterback in Jaron Hall out of Maple Mountain. Once dreamed of leading his childhood team, now he's ready to remind Cougar Nation of that storied tradition of elite quarterback play against one of the toughest schedules in program history. You are listening live on Twitter Spaces. To the 2022 BYU football season preview show hosted by your KSL Sports BYU insider Mitch Harper and you, the diehard Cougar fan. Let's talk some Cougar football. Take this throughout this Sunday afternoon. You're getting done with church. Let's. You know I had to be a little bit extra with the intro. You know I had to be. That's just what I do. I love college football. Let's talk some Cougar football today. It's an exciting time in Cougar Nation 2022 BYU football team is going to be a fun, exciting group that's going to provide, I think, a lot of excitement for this Cougar team. And let me just tell you, too, I think that this BYU team lends itself to Cougar fans dreaming big. I think that Cougar fans should not be scared of being optimistic and excited about this team. Are they good enough to be top 10? They could be. BYU defensive back Jacob Robinson told me as much. He said that they felt going into the season they should be a top 10 team. Being number 25 in the country, they felt slighted. They felt disrespected. I just think that the, the perception of BYU football, this team could change that. This could be a narrative-shifting type team for BYU heading into life in the Big 12 Conference beginning in 2023, and I think that it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be an exciting year, and I think it's one that this is a all-the-chips-are-in type of season, I think, for BYU. They're not waiting on a missionary uh, that's out in the mission field. Like basketball is going to be saying, man, what, would have, what could have been had they had Colin Chandler? That's not the case with BYU football. All the personnel is in place. This is the best BYU roster in the independence era. And quite frankly, I've been watching BYU football the last quarter century religiously, and I feel like it's from top to bottom, from 1 to 123, this is the best BYU roster that I've ever seen assembled uh, during my time watching and following and now covering professionally BYU football. This is a great roster. 
I think the big questions now for BYU football, how high can they go when you face a schedule that consists of four teams in the top 20 of the preseason, top 25? Is it realistic for BYU to win big and be in the national conversation with a difficult schedule? I think they can do that because of the experience that they have on this team. It lends itself to, I think, a lot of confidence and optimism that even if you have an injury or two, this team is good enough to still withstand that and put out a high-level product that competes every single week. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. The Kalani Satake press conference is tomorrow on Monday, and that's going to tell us, you know, it's kind of set the tone for the USF game. But I do believe that this season, I don't think Cougar fans should be afraid of dreaming big. I think that there's always this feeling of, oh, it's BYU. You know, like you got to keep your expectations in check. I don't understand that philosophy. You know, I, I still think that, you know, BYU personally, I think that when I break down the schedule, and we'll break it down here a lot on this on this Twitter spaces, um, and if you want to chime in with some of your comments, feel free to send requests and whatnot. You know, I'm still saying right now 9-3, and three, just because I have a lot of respect for the opponents that BYU will play. But I think BYU will be a week-in, week-out competitive football team. I don't think you're going to see a situation where BYU was outclassed in any game this year. And they're going to go up against some of the great helmet brands in college football. BYU's got a good brand. BYU, in this era of college football realignment and brands being something that matters all all the time in college football, BYU's got a great brand. And I think this team has a chance to elevate that brand. You know, BYU football history is is fascinating because every every decade, BYU has pushed the envelope. They've always, you know, consistently rewrote the narratives in college football. Honestly, you could argue that BYU has reshaped how college football has been structured over the last four decades. BYU has a big hand in all of that. I I think that this team has that ability to potentially rewrite some narratives and and force some changes once again. Uh, This is a good football team, so... I think that coming out of fall camp, which concluded last Tuesday, I thought this BYU team, uh, I, I felt even more confident about this group. I, I think there's still some questions from a, um injury side, like how healthy is Gunnar Romney? How healthy is Pukunakua? Because we didn't see them much the last two weeks of fall camp, if at all. Will they be ready to go against USF? That's a big question. Uh, something that uh, hopefully they can get some clarity from Kalani Sataki on Monday. But still, uh, you look at that wide receiver room and the personnel that they have in place, I think it's still a productive group that against the USF, a group of five team that's only won one FBS game over the last two years, this team should be able to withstand that, even if they have some personnel hits. Curious. Is anyone going to the USF game? Is anyone going to any road games this year? Uh, If you want to chime in or whatnot or uh, send a thumbs-up emoji or whatever, I'm still getting used to the Twitter spaces, and I appreciate all of you tuning in here. Um, Let's see. I'm getting a request here. If you want to chime in, feel free to request. Uh, We got Houston here. Uh, Houston, go ahead. 
Go ahead, Houston. I'm not hearing him. Is anyone hearing him? All right, Houston. Matt Biamonte, you're in here. There we go. There's Matt. Matt, can you hear me? I'm back. I'm here, Mitch. I'm here. (laughs) Matt, how excited are you for BYU football this year? This is one of the most exciting years of BYU football that I think has ever been there because of the returning experience, which we've touched on at length uh, on Cougar Sports Saturday. And then Jaron Hall. I just feel like Jaron Hall is a difference maker. He can be one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year, Mitch. And if he is anywhere near that, I think BYU can beat anyone on their schedule. So it really comes down to Hall. And I think that Jaron Hall is phenomenal. I'm excited to see him play. He looks like he's taken a giant step forward. And if that's true, then all BYU fans are in for a special season. Yeah, I, I, the, the Jaron Hall, I will give praise to Matt because in 2021, winter of 2021 in January – so one month after BYU completed the 2020 season and and uh, Zach Wilson had his amazing run, at that time in January 2021, I thought the next man in the building was probably Jacob Conover because at that time, remember, Jaron Hall was dealing with the hip injury. He had had the string of concussions. He just had a, a laundry list of injuries, and it was still, you loved what happened in that Utah State game in 2019, but it was like, can't wait for injuries forever. Next man up is might be this freshman hot shot in Jacob Conover. Matt was always team Jaron from the get-go. And then in that spring, it was pretty evident Jaron was going to be the guy. And I think Jaron is due for an amazing year. It was fun talking to Jaron, too, in the summertime. And, and I think, let me ask you Cougar fans if, if you feel this way, but I, I feel like when a quarterback, you know, because BYU is synonymous with just great quarterback play. I mean, dating back to to Virgil Carter, Gary Shady, you know the names. I could go through them. But quarterback play is amazing at this place. It really is. And Aaron Roderick, credit to him, he's revived the position at BYU. But I always think that Cougar fans feel a different connection with a BYU quarterback that loves BYU football. You know, in this era that Jaron Hall has played at BYU, he could have dipped. He could have gone to the transfer portal at any time. He could have left at any time. And he stuck with it because he loves BYU. It was his childhood team. And and now you pair that with he's worked his tail off. He's in a position to maybe be an eventual first-round pick. I just think the sky's the limit for Jaron Hall, and I think Cougar fans love his story. And I also think, too, Matt, that Jaron is a guy that uh, he commands respect. For, like it, it, players around him, they don't want to let him down. He's he's a great uh, friend of these guys, but at the same time, this dude is is business like approach, and it's fun to see. That mic'd up, Mitch, uh, from from the last scrimmage was I think just perfectly highlighted exactly what you talked about. It to me from from that clip, he felt like an NFL quarterback. It was like, hey. We gotta, we gotta know what we're doing. We gotta get in and out of plays. We gotta be fast. I don't know. He just, he felt like he was totally in command, and and the way that he's gonna run that offense is NFL like, which is, it's very exciting. It, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit too, Mitch, but it was also really 
fun to hear Pete Thamel on another podcast from ESPN talk about Jaron Hall maybe being a top 15 yeah. pick. Like, it's not just you and me that are, are singing his praises. Like, he's starting to get national recognition, and I, I think it's well-deserved. He's got all the talent, but I think you're starting to see some of the intangibles that make quarterbacks great. You're starting to see that out of Jaron Hall, which is just one of the many reasons you and I are so excited for his uh, upcoming 2022 season. Yeah, I, that's a great point. It, it was refreshing to hear Pete Thamel, who I think is probably the best college football reporter in the business, to, to say Jaron Hall is going to be a top 15 pick. Because I'm not going to lie, like it's been strange this offseason to think, because I, I left Shreveport in December and thought, one, Shreveport is absolutely horrendous, and it sucks, and I, I never want to go back to that place again. Two, despite the loss, I thought BYU's going to be a trendy top 15, top 20 team. Jaron's going to be maybe on some preseason Heisman list. That hasn't happened at all. And I'm thinking to myself, what on earth is going on that co- that is causing this? Like, Why is no one looking at Jaron Hall, a dual-threat guy? He's got a huge arm. He's going to work on improving that accuracy in the deep ball this year. But this guy's got the whole package that NFL teams love. Why is, why is no one nationally raving about Jaron Hall? Uh, you know, he's clearly going to have the, the, the platforms and the stages with these big games to prove the naysayers and the doubters wrong. But it, it has been strange this year, Matt, to think how Jaron has just got no, no love at all from the national media because he's got a body of work from what he did last year, beating a bunch of Pac-12 teams, beating Power 5 teams. This guy had a great season last year, and everyone seems to be sleeping on him. I'm so glad you touched on the schedule, too, Mitch, because unlike Zach Wilson in 2020, and it wasn't his fault. It's that, right. you know, when everyone, when everyone talks about 2020, you know, we have to remember that BYU was willing to play anybody. Like, it, so we can't, we can't knock on the schedule because that's, that's, that's all the, that's, that's the best they could work with. But in 2022, Jaron is going to be playing great teams. He's going to be playing some great defenses, too. So, if he can live up to the billing and perform on these stages, then I think there will be a lot more national recognition. I think that his draft stock will increase because, like, that Notre Dame game is going to be huge on October 8th. And, you know, Oregon's a big game. Baylor at home, that's going to be the best game in that window, I think, in two weeks. So he has the opportunity that Zach never had to prove that his skills can go up against some of the great defense. Now, you and me, I, I think he already proved that last year because he went up against some great defenses. Yeah. He beat Utah. He, you know, he, he showed well against Baylor, even though they lost. So I, it's not going to surprise me if he plays well on this stage, but I'm glad that he has the stage to, to show that this season. Let's, uh, let's get some uh, uh, listeners again. If you want to chime in on, on the Twitter spaces, let's, let's have fun with this and, and uh, talk some Cougar football here. Jake Welch, uh, what do you got maybe on Jaron Hall or what do you want to hit on? Yeah, uh, really interested to see how Jaron progresses this year. I think the thing that I'm looking for him is to be the consistent force in the offense. I think that was Tyler Algier the last couple of years. Uh, just having that backbone, that guy that you could always lean on. I'm really excited for Christopher Brooks to be that guy uh, from, from the running game. I think my question about Jaron, and maybe this is opens up a question about the entire offense, the biggest thing that BYU has struggled with, at least in this uh, progressive transition to the P5, is getting that P5 depth. 
do you feel like at the quarterback position and any other position, you know, in, in the offense, if Jaron goes down, not saying that it will happen, but we've only had about one season, I think it's 2020, where we didn't have a quarterback injury. Last year, you know, we saw Jacob Conover get into a game, Baylor Romney as well. Years previous, you know, obviously there's going to be injuries. So at the quarterback position and then maybe a few others, could you highlight and maybe talk about, you know, what are you seeing depth-wise and you have the horses in the back essentially to uh, step up if that time comes? I think BYU has two guys, clearly Jaron Hall, and then after Jaron, it's Jacob Conover. I, I don't I don't look at Finnegan or Nick Billups or Sol J as guys that could win BYU a game. I will say, coming into fall camp, I was skeptical, like many of Jacob Conover, because the messaging from Aaron Roderick was not really aligning with anything that folks like Matt and I saw in spring ball when it came to Jacob Conover. Uh, because I, I just felt like and we got small windows. Keep in mind, like the media, we were seeing about 20 minutes of practice in spring. We saw 20 minutes in the fall, so we didn't see the full body of work. But I thought Conover in fall camp, seeing it with my own eyes, just like the command he had on the offense, I thought he did a great job. I mean, especially from week two on in fall camp. Week one, that first practice, he struggled again, where there were some low balls. The accuracy was kind of an issue. And I just thought, is this not going to work for for Jacob Conover? Are we going to be looking at this guy as maybe a bust and BYU's going to have to move on from this cat? I thought, though, he came, he turned it on in the back half of fall camp, and I thought he was fantastic. I thought every single practice, the media observation windows that we came away from in a few of those, I, I came away thinking Jacob Conover was the star, and I wanted to see that. And I, I do think that there's a belief uh, from the coaching staff that they can win games with Jacob Conover. Now, is it the Notre Dame game? I, I, don't, I don't know if I would bet money on that, but I think if you're playing – uh, you know, that stretch of Wyoming, Utah State, you're playing some East Carolina, some Liberties. BYU can win games and win decisively and still maybe operate their offense with Jacob Conover at the commands. After him, though, I think there's a big drop. Uh, you know, I think the the buzz and the hype around Cade Finnegan was kind of unwarranted. Uh, I thought that was... Now, granted, he was not fully healthy in spring ball, but, you know, there was this buzz about he, he might be the scout team sensation and he's going to be maybe be the second-team guy. I always thought it was much ado about nothing. I always thought Conover's going to be the second-string guy. It's just a matter of him emphatically winning the job and making it clear as day that he is the guy and not only is he the, the number two guy, but he's also going to be potentially the, the QB1 in the Big 12 era. I'm curious to get Moose's thoughts because, Moose, I saw you at some of the camp practices. What did you think of Jacob Conover? Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You know what? I actually love Jacob Conover. I've loved him since he, before he went on his mission. And I think he took a little bit longer than most of us expected to shake off his mission legs, to be honest with you. That was one thing that really kind of surprised me, that he was just not really ready to come back. And we as BYU fans are a little impatient with kids coming home from missions. We're like, we want the Tanner Mangum going into Nebraska, ready to go three months after his mission. But most bodies don't work that way, to be honest with you. But Jaron Hall he's been a competitor since day one. And what I love about Jaron is I went and talked to him about a year or two ago and he's like, I'm done with baseball. I'm like, why Jaron? He's like, because the life of an NFL quarterback is more, is really better for my family life. I'm like, that is quite a statement right there, buddy. <laughs> and I'm just so stoked that he had that attitude going in because a lot of kids are like, if I can make it to college, then I've made it. That's the attitude I had. I was like, okay, Jaron's looking ahead a few years, and that's what a lot of these BYU guys are doing from Blake Freeland to Puka Nakua. They're like, this isn't our destination. We're going to the NFL, and we're going to be dominant there as well. And that's the attitude that I haven't seen in BYU for a while, and these kids are really feeding off of Jaron Hall and what his goals are. He's like, hop on my back, I'll take you guys. The real question mark, and the reason I think a lot of People in the media aren't high on Jaron is just injury prone, but I think Kalani has finally gotten the resources he needs to put people around him to make sure that these guys are healthy. I mean, even up to three years ago, you had three guys in the strength staff and two people in the training room. What are we doing? Yeah. Kalani finally. Did you notice how many guys were injured walking out of fall camp, Mitch? Uh, there was there was not many uh, that uh, I mean in the guy there was I mean there was guys there were days where there were players not dressed like I remember there was one day where I counted about eleven guys were not dressed but I I chalked that up to most of them were upperclassmen and they were getting that one or two days maybe in the week off uh, that's really what I chalked it up to because the next observation like an Earl Mariner I remember he took a day off and I'm I'm high on Earl what he could be you know he. He was not dressed something, and okay, is, is, are we going to have to monitor his situation? But then he was back. So I think, I think what Roderick and the coaches were saying uh, to Iaki, they, they were true that they wanted to give a lot of these guys some breaks. Yeah, and that's brilliant because you've got dudes out there that are like 36 years old, Ethan Montemaliuna type situation. <laughs> Earl's close. You're just, <laughs> you're just like, bro, I remember you back in 1985. Congratulations on that, Natty. Keep playing. But – a lot of these guys need those breaks, and Kalani has finally gotten the resources to give him that. But I'm super high on this team. I mean, Jaron's great. I really like Jacob, but I love this offensive line. I was counting three deep of absolutely behemoths, some of the biggest human beings I've ever seen that can move at tackle, at guard, at center. It's just a mix and match of beauty right now with that offensive line. Hell, I feel like I could run for 1,000 yards behind those boys. I know it's yeah. it, it's it's an impressive group. I mean, and and I I remember going to the um, earlier this month, going to the Cougar kickoff to just kind of get some photos for for KSL's website, and and I saw up close and in person that he did. I didn't recognize him at first because uh, just hadn't seen him seen him much. But uh, Lasila Ty, and I just look at him, just a massive human being, and that guy. You know he got a, he arrived late into camp uh, from coming from Snow College, 
You could say he arrived really late because he signed back in 2016, but he finally showed up, but just a massive human. And he's a guy that on that, on that offensive line, he's probably third string because he's so late into the game. But it's like BYU's O-line, I, I, I do believe, is ready for the Big 12. And I think there's guys that could be all-conference type performers. Uh, you know, if they were in the Big 12 this year, they could be all-conference guys among the best of the best in the Big 12, where I, I think that is one area where I'm still kind of wondering with uh, the roster going forward for BYU when you kind of look ahead to the, the 2023 and beyond, you know, who are going to be some of those potential all-conference guys, some of the best in the league in the future. But in the here and now for 2022 and the final Independence Tour, I think this roster is assembled in a way that they could have a ton of success. I, I think logistically, too, how the schedule is set up, too, it, it lends itself to potentially, you know, having maybe a 10 or 11 win season. Potentially. I mean, that that's a, a very optimistic look, but I think it's you can entertain that. I think there's been years in the past where you said 10 wins and it was just kind of, it felt empty saying that. I believe this team could win 10 or 11, but it's just, you know, you got to always assume that some crazy game like uh, Boise State last year where you have a couple fumbles, and that's just probably going to happen. It's not that Boise was better than BYU. It's just, hey, the bounces didn't go your way, and, and uh, you know, it just, it just didn't work out in your favor. Matt, I, I know that you are excited about BYU's chances in 2022. You gave a season prediction to on Cougar Sports Saturday yesterday. Let the Twitter spaces know what record you got for them. BYU. <laughs> he's, he's putting me on the spot here in front of all of you. You don't have to if you don't want to. 11-1. I, like, I feel like this is the year with great offensive line play. You have depth at running back. You know, it takes points. There's the offensive line. Moose touched on that. The wide receiver depth is really good. Tight end depth, maybe not quite as good, but you still have upper echelon talent there. And then defensively, you got to love the linebacking group. Uh, Gennaro Guilford loves the secondary. They have some really high-end players there. And they have depth now as well when they bring in the Vanderbilt transfer, Gabe, Judy Lally. So I just feel like 11-1. and one. And then when you look at these games individually, Baylor's at home. I think that helps them. And Baylor lost some players. Notre Dame lost some players. They are not good at wide receiver. They're great on the offensive line, but they don't have great skill. I think uh, Arkansas was the game I picked them to lose. But Oregon, there's a lot of new stuff going on at Oregon. New coach, players left in the transfer portal. It's new. And if you want to catch a team like that, you want to catch them early, and BYU does. So I like that. I I just think, to your point, Mitch, the schedule lines up in such a way where, yeah, they're going to need some breaks, they're going to need some bounces, but there's not a game on the schedule they can't win, and they have the talent to compete against these P5 teams. So, I'm going all in. You know, blue dog a little start here. I don't know, but eleven and one is what I got, man. You know, and I think if BYU goes eleven and one, if if they did, they deserve to go to the Cotton Bowl and be in the New Year Six. Heck, they should probably be in contention for the playoff. Honestly, if they go eleven and one with this schedule, because you you don't find teams in college football that just have the the novelty. I, I know, granted, BYU's in as an independent, so they got to have these these uh, kind of novel schedules, but just the, the willingness to travel, the willingness to always measure themselves. BYU never backs down. And, I, you know, I've, I've always – that's one of the things I think Cougar fans, I, when I tell people and I talk to, to folks like other beat writers and other uh, reporters for these teams, it's just like 
there is an undying allegiance to Cougar football because they're always looking to prove themselves. The fans, the teams, they always want to just like, they want to tackle the biggest challenges and kind of slay Goliath. And, you know, I think BYU or slay, and BYU is, is elevating itself as a program going into the Big 12 Conference. And I think anyone that tries to uh, slander BYU's move to the Big 12 saying, oh, is it that exciting anymore now that everything's shifting in college football? To me and to people around BYU, it absolutely is still a big deal because this is going to be the best conference BYU has ever been in, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a high level of play, and I think that's what BYU has always wanted. They've always wanted to measure themselves up against the best, and I think this schedule, uh, with all the personnel that they have, this team is in a position to definitely go week by week and, and be in contention. And I don't think there's going to be any game this year. I, I will say one of my bold predictions for this year, too. I don't think any Cougar fans going to come away from a game feeling the way they did against Baylor. Because that game in Baylor, again, in Waco, like BYU was just outclassed, in my opinion. I thought that was physically dominated at the line of scrimmage. Like BYU just got bullied by the Bears. I don't think they're going to ha- let that happen this year. And I think a lot of the questions reside on the defensive side with this team, but there seems to be a, a great resolve. I mean, talking with Tyler Batty and I just kind of a shameless plug Cougar tracks every single week is going to have Tyler. He was a great, great insight because this defense, at least what he has said is they took it personal, the, the embarrassment of UAB and that's been kind of motivating them. And I think that they do hear the criticisms and the critiques about this defense from the outside voices. I mean, how can you not? Like, how can you not, like, folks in the media like myself and, and out there that are critiquing the defense, you can't ignore it. It's, it's out there. So prove the doubters wrong. I do think they're in a better position to have success because I think the personnel along the defensive line is better. That was one of the takeaways, too that I came away from fall camp feeling better about BYU was the defensive line. And Matt, I know you highlighted him yesterday, but Lorenzo Fawatea, I thought was outstanding in fall camp. I, I think that he's due for a massive bounce back year. The, the Fawatea that we saw against USC in 2019, we were seeing that consistently in fall camp. If he can be the guy that, it's unreasonable to say that Lorenzo is going to be the 2019 USC guy week in and week out but if he can if he can provide if he can provide some of that that is a significant upgrade for BYU at defensive tackle not that Atunasamahe wasn't good I I thought he was but there just wasn't great depth at that position and I love that Alessa Tuiaki decided this guy needs to play defensive tackle none of this hybrid stuff where depending on the package he's on the inside or the outside he's a full-blown DT he's put on some weight and if we can stuff the run and be a real presence on the inside, that changes everything for Tyler Batty, for Earl, for guys like Fisher Jackson. I think it honestly, like when you really think about it, Mitch, Lorenzo might be the key to the D because if he can be a great defensive tackle like BOU's had in the past, Kyrus Tonga comes to mind, then it opens everything up. And that Baylor game where they were outclassed, they couldn't stop the run. And that's where a guy like Lorenzo Fawatea if he's healthy and as good as everyone says he's been in camp, how that, that would make a huge difference. So he, to me, is is one of the keys defensively for a good year. Yeah, Zoe, so, so some of the other nose tackles and defensive tackles, Zoe, he's back. Caden Hawes, he's back. A lot of experience there. 
Josh Larson is a guy that elevated his stock, I think, coming out of fall camp. Had a really nice camp. I think he's going to probably be in that two deep if BYU releases a depth chart coming out tomorrow. Nice Amahe, just the question there is how is his shoulder coming along? He's dealing with a nagging shoulder injury, and that's we didn't see him at all in camp. He didn't dress. He wasn't uh, in uniform or anything like that. So we didn't see him in spring either. So we pretty much went an entire camp, at least during media observations, uh, spring and fall, where we didn't see a down from Atunaisamahe. So I don't know what to reasonably expect in week one from him. Then also John Nilsson, too. Uh, Brooks Miley was a guy that I think BYU was hoping to have, but like Nisa, he's dealing with a shoulder injury. Didn't see much of Bruce Mitchell from South Summit. He's part of the program. He's there. He practiced a little bit, but uh, I don't know if he's, he's more of a developmental guy, kind of on that trajectory of a Hunter Greer on the defensive end spot. You know, kind of develop them, kind of work their way up the ladder and see what they can become. At defensive end, You've got guys like, of course, Tyler Batty. He's going to be the star. Earl Tuioti Mariner playing that kind of big defensive end spot. Then you've also got Alden Tofa. Tofa last year uh, had some moments where he was showing the flashes of all the hype that he received coming out of West Jordan High. I'm curious to see how Alden, uh, you know, Cap, it builds on that from last year. I don't think he's going to be a, a superstar by any means, but just that, that classic 111th guy in, in, in this defense, uh, can he conti- continue to contribute at that level? Alema Pelimai is another guy. He's been bounced around a lot in his BYU career, was once a safety, switched over to linebacker, then the defensive end. He's added a lot of weight. He might even end up being a defensive tackle when it's all said and done. Fisher Jackson at the OE spot. He kind of takes over the role of a Logan Fano. And I got to say, too, Logan Fano, I still, man, I, I, I almost think that that was, that. if you want to talk about missing pieces, that might have been the one guy. Matt, uh, Logan Fano, because if BYU had him, then you probably have Tyler Batty at that DN traditional spot where Earl's going to be. That's quite the tandem at DN, but I do think Fisher Jackson is going to provide some quality depth, and I think he's elevated his play with the absence of Logan Fano at that OE spot. You got Hunter Greer. Mikey Petty joins the program in the 123-man roster when school starts tomorrow. Uh, Isaiah Moa, too. He's part of the program. Uh, you know, Didn't see the, the massive flashes from Moa in either spring or fall. You know, when he's coming in as a four-star recruit, you would naturally think he's going to be this uh, just instantly steps on camp and then he's campus and he's the alpha. We didn't, I didn't get that vibe from him, but hey, that's okay. I think that that means that the rest of the upperclassmen defensive line, they stepped up their games to the point where the four-star doesn't just walk on campus and is instantly the number one defensive lineman. So D-line personnel is in a better place than it's been in, in previous years, Matt, but uh, still they got to they gotta prove it in games ultimately. Yeah, they do. And the final point is a good one because in spring football, within the first week, he was already like splitting time at the one. Yeah. So it was like, well, holy smokes. It was this true freshman coming in and being disruptive. And I think that he would have played a lot. He would have, he would have been a factor. But there, as you just alluded to, Mitch, there's enough depth there where I think you can overcome that. And, and the other thing too, like you hate to lose anybody, but if you're going to lose someone, you want to lose someone who hasn't been someone on the field that's reliable. I, and, and that's not to say that Logan won't be, because I think he will be, but he's never played a down for BOU in a game. So 
you're not losing production that was there in 2021. You really, you're just losing the potential, but the potential is high and, and I'm really looking forward to when he comes back. But thankfully there's a lot of experience returning from last year where I think that you can survive without that presence this year. It would be awesome if BYU and his ACL holds up to where it recovers quick enough to where Logan could play in four games this year. And oh, we, yeah. We, we can get a sample size of what he looks like in games. Uh, Hema, hey, Mooley, what's up, man? How you how you doing? How are you on this uh, this uh, Sunday afternoon getting ready for some Cougar football? Your life's going to get busy pretty pretty soon this week, I imagine. Oh, man. I'm. It's like two parts. It's, it's one. The one side of me is super excited for football to start, and then the, the producer side of me is kind of regretting <laughs> yes. it because it's like, now I'm locked in till March. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I have no no breaks till March. But hey, hey, I'll take it because yeah, this this whole preseason, you've heard all the storylines and all. The, I'm sick of that. I'm sick of all the storylines. I'm sick of all that crap. I just want to see them play. I think uh, you, Matt, all the guys that talked on this um, spaces brought up a lot of good points about my biggest concern in the offense or the in the off off season. Excuse me which was, you know, the rush defense for BYU. Like, I I was pretty concerned about it. But now, like, like everyone mentioned, like having Earl Mariner, you know, having Zoe back, having Keenan Peely back, like, I'm, I feel a lot better about how this defense is, this rush defense especially, um, is going to perform this year. But let, let me kind of flip it to let's talk about, like, the uh, secondary, you know, the pass defense. Because I thought last year our secondary was pretty good considering. And I feel like they got nothing but better this offseason. They really did. I mean, you look at the, the, the cornerbacks and the safeties. Cornerback, I think it's not, you know, what General Guilford said. And BYU coaches – they'll be willing to give some coach speak answers. Some of those media sessions, they're just total coach speak, and I get it. That's fine. But when Gennaro, a man that's played the position, he's been around BYU football for a quarter century. I mean, he he signed with BYU back in like 1999. He's seen BYU cornerbacks, and he's been around the state for a long time. When he's saying this is the best during his time, I agree uh, because I think there could be three professional defensive backs in the in the cornerback room and that's what i think uh, it, where potentially he's you know gauging it you know when he stacks it up with the 1996 group there was pros there were guys that played in the CFL there were guys that played in the NFL like a Tim McTyre who was with the Cleveland Browns i think Caleb Hayes is good enough to be an NFL draft pick i think he's the best cornerback that BYU has and he's not like a Jaron Hall because you don't expect hype to be heaped on a, a BYU cornerback, but I think Caleb has been slept on quite a bit this offseason. I think he's an outstanding corner for BYU, and I think he's going to continue to get even better this year. But the presence of Gabe Judy Lally was was definitely noticeable because he elevated everyone. I mean, D'Lo and Caleb, they got put on notice. And Gennaro's great about you know, making sure that competition is always happening. And he doesn't anoint anyone, you know, because folks in the media like myself, I'm like, okay, D'Lo and Caleb, they're starters, right, Gennaro? No. He's like, it's it's going to continue to be competition every single day. He's going to give valuable opportunities to Gabe Judy Lally, Jacob Robinson. You know, even a guy like, I, I know this is crazy to say, just because he was once a tryout walk-on, but 
Like, I even thought Jacob Boren showed quite well in fall camp. Just from the speed perspective, he's going to play some cornerback. And I think General trusts him if they need to turn to him. They're going to have four guys, and they're going to rotate through those four players uh, because they want to have that man press uh, aggressive style of play at the line of scrimmage. And, I, and what a breath of fresh air that could be, right? I mean, from a, just an aesthetic look. I mean, how many times in the Twitter social media era has a Cougar fan posted a screenshot from a game and they've got a BYU defensive back circled and they're like 10 yards off the line of scrimmage or 7 yards off the line of scrimmage? I think you're going to see a lot more where they're getting up against these wide receivers and they're going to be physical with them. And, and, and that's going to be kind of fun to see. I mean, there's going to be times where they have that typical look where they're dropping back, you know, five, seven yards off the line of scrimmage, but I just think that they feel confident with uh, the depth that they have that they can be a little bit more creative and be more aggressive with this defense because of the secondary that they have. I mean, Ed Lamb was was talking to Matt and I, and that was one of the first things he said. Matt, maybe refresh my memory, but it was something, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something to the effect of uh, like how excited he is for the cornerbacks, and that was a development in fall camp that he felt uh, really stood out to him as, as one of the big positives for the defense. Hemma, I got a question for you. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know what Houston's going to bring. What, what should be? What should be? Uh, what should we be excited for when Houston trots on the field for BYU? Um, I think so. Houston, we had a long discussion a couple nights ago just about the attitude of the team and how they're feeling about this season. And uh, from all accounts, the team looks dialed in, like heads down, let's go. You know, with a lot of the leaders from last season, they're all very, frankly, embarrassed about the UAB loss. And so they got that chip on their shoulders. And guys like Houston and guys like Chris Brooks, I think one of the big things that they're going to bring in is they're going to bring in a wealth of experience when time gets tough, right? Like BYU football, especially last year of independence, it's a grind, and it's going to be a grind until freaking November, right, or whenever the buy is. Like, they're going to need to depend on some leadership to get them through some some tough road games and some tough games that are back-to-back on top of tough games. And so I think that's the biggest thing that Houston's going to bring. Um, but also, you know, I cannot confirm or deny this, but I hear there, there's some uh, 14 personnel in the works, possibly, mm-hmm. or – some jumbo packages, if you will. Um, when, when we'll see some of that stuff coming out, I'm not sure. But um, I do know that that's, if you're looking purely on the field stuff, Houston is going to bring that jumbo package side. I mean, you guys watched the Utah State game, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, Connecticut, they ran a fullback dive at the yard line, at the, at the goal line, and uh, scored on it. And I'm just like, Yo, BYU's got to be licking their chops for for some <laughs> yeah. fullback dives, you know, especially against Utah State later. I want to see but, him under center in the Diane Gunwalaku package. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, uh, I, I feel like they're going to have something to that effect. You know, I, I'm excited. Um, I'm, I'm looking for maybe them busting that out against Baylor. That's, that's my guess. But Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to see, too, how BYU evolves Mason Wake. You know, I, I think Mason Wake's a guy that, you know, because I, I still kind of wonder with Isaac Rex and, you know, Isaac Rex was pretty candid about his recovery and his ankle. Like he said, 
It might be 100% in November, but that's even unrealistic because, as you noted, Hema, they're going to go through 10 straight weeks of playing, and it's probably unreasonable to expect he's going to be 100% with that uh, injury coming up at season's end. Uh, but, you know, he's pretty candid that, like, hey, he's playing about 80% right now. And, you know, then you pair that up with Dallin Holker got a little bit banged up with the knee in fall camp. He gave it a go in that third scrimmage and, and second scrimmage, I believe. But, uh, you know, Mason Wake, could he be more of a traditional tight end? You know, I talked to him, had an interview with him in spring, and he even said that uh, that is a goal for him to be uh, evolved kind of more into have his role evolve more. And he's such a unique weapon. And now you pair it up with Houston, who can be uh, that traditional fullback for BYU. And I'm sure his role is going to evolve too. I'm sure that was one of the reasons he wanted to get to BYU to showcase he's capable of a lot more than just simply ripping the head off someone in a block. But uh, I think that the the evolution of Wake and Hamuli will be very interesting to see. What do you think of, of Mason, Hema? Oh, I, I think Mason's a super talented weapon to have on the field. So, you know, we talk about depth in this BYU offense this season, but I think we haven't, we haven't had the opportunity yet to explore this, but we don't talk about the uh, versatility of like the people that the personnel that we have on the team. And Mason is like one of those guys who's very versatile. You can send him out on routes. You can, you can underhand shovel past him the ball. There's, there's lots of things you can do with a player like Mason Wake, and there's a lot of players that are like that on, on the BYU offense. And so um, we didn't really get to see much of that last season. You know, a lot of last season was give Tyler Algier the ball. Um, but I feel like this season, uh, A-Rod's got to be licking his chops because I feel like he's got the opportunity to uh, diversify the athletes that he has on the team, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, and I, I'm excited to see how how this offense evolves. And I, I think Aaron Roderick too. What are the, one of the great stories I think in this BYU football program has been the evolution of Roderick. I mean, think about this when when Ty Detmer got fired, the whole consensus I think pretty much from the fan base was do not Kalani hire Aaron Roderick. Don't hire one of your buddies. You know, that was the thing, like, get someone outside. And, like, no one wanted Roderick. No one. Not a soul. Because the guy was unemployed, and everyone just thought he was, you know, just kind of okay for for Utah and for Whittingham because Whittingham could micromanage him. One of the great glow-ups, honestly, in college football is Aaron Roderick. I think he's one of the great offensive coordinators in the sport. And I think this year's offense is going to put him put a lot more respect on his name uh, because I think that Roderick has done a phenomenal job with this BYU offense, even higher than, than honestly I may be expected to because, you know, when he steps into the program, BYU's kind of a mess. I mean, he was there in 2017 as a uh, analyst consultant. It wasn't a paid position. It was kind of like that, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on, on this linebacker coach, uh, Kevin Clune in 2020 where he's basically just volunteering as an analyst. And so Aaron Roderick was around, and then he joins the team in 2018 as the passing game coordinator. And I just think that he and Kalani have reinstilled the the quarterback tradition. I mean, I, I honestly thought that was done at BYU. I just thought, okay, you're going to have 
the mobile quarterback. You're going to have, like, Taysom was incredible. One of the greatest athletes in the history of BYU. And if Taysom had stayed healthy, he would have put up some amazing years. But that was an outlier. I thought that the greatness of BYU's quarterback position would never reach that uh, that factory levels again. And uh, a lot of credit to Roderick. It's just the way that he has developed QBs. And, and I always think back, too, to um, how Zach Wilson uh, you know, when I had a conversation with Zach uh, a few years ago, and he told me candidly, he's like, you know, Aaron Roderick doesn't hold back on how, you know, he was not a quarterback, and uh, he doesn't know everything about the quarterback position, but he's worked his tail off to learn and evolve as much as he can. And I think that when he knows that he his job is not on the line every single play and he's got the trust from his head coach, this guy's just blossomed. And, man, it, it's just been really impressive to see – what Aaron Roderick has become as BYU's OC. Because, again, there was a time when BYU fans did not want him, and I understand it. I understood it back then because it was like he wasn't that great at Utah. He just wasn't. And he was unemployed. No one wanted him. And it's been one of the great stories, I think, for BYU football. I do want to look at the schedule, though. And, folks, if you want to chime in with some of the season predictions that you've got for BYU football, feel free to chime in. I want to hear some of your predictions. Let's – uh. Maybe, I don't know. Matt, what do you think? Should we hammer out? Jake, what do you think? Should we go line item by line item? Uh, let's start with USF. Let's just start there. We can roll through this. BYU at USF. Matt, we'll start with you. Is there any cause for concern in this game, do you think, for BYU? Because I maybe I'm just always leery just because first games are always scary, but it feels like BYU should win this game decisively, don't you think? The only cause for concern is do they bring enough pickle juice on the airplane to Tampa? Because <laughs> I just feel like, barring this obscene humidity they're going to be facing, there's just, I just, I can't see a way they lose this football game. It's the depth is too the depth is better than it's ever been. USF they have a lot of new going on there, and honestly, Gary Bohannon being named the starter I think helps BYU in a way because they've already seen him and been against him, so they've got. A lot of good footage. Either way, they would have had footage against Timmy McLean too. But I don't know. I, I think USF. There's just too much. There's too much new going on there. BYU should have for the first month of the year a decisive advantage when it just comes to continuity and experience. There's there's not going to be any like learning on the fly for BYU from the get go. They they know who they are. They know who they can rely on. All these people have played together. That should lend itself to an advantage, especially in the opener. Yeah, I, I think USF in the trenches, BYU out, outclasses them. I know that USF. Don't come on. You're misleading people here. You think this is a sneaky game, Mitch? I, I, I do think it's a sneaky game just from everything that goes beyond the, the roster for USF. It's just like humidity and the, the dead of heat and. USF has kept everything close to the vest. They haven't let their media see anything, and there's no – they're just like – it feels like it's a game for USF where they're going to throw everything in their playbook at BYU, and will BYU be prepared? And remember, Matt, you know, Kevin Kloon, the linebacker coach, he told us explicitly, he's like, we will, he's like, we will probably not know what they are running – Again, I got a paraf- I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, we will have to adjust probably after that first drive to really figure out truly what they're running because it's a. They're not going to know either, Mitch, because there's so many new players <laughs> I, on that. Look, I get it. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, 
but that's not going to happen, Mitch. So we, we don't we don't even need to entertain <laughs> that because they're going to win by two touchdowns, and in week two, Kirk Herbstreet and company are coming to Provo, baby. Let's oh, go. Man. You're buying that? You so you think that's going to happen then? Because huh? let let's think about that real quick. So t- I wasn't until you said something yesterday on the show. Well, which yeah. was with the TV. Yeah, you explain it, Mitch. Texas and Alabama is the big game in week two. Yes. Big noon kickoff on Fox has that game. And it seems like this summer has been TV wars with Fox versus ESPN. Maybe ESPN doesn't want to throw a bone to Fox's big game, even though they probably should be at Texas and Alabama because, you know, that's that's a pretty I mean it's a it's an amazing game, let's face it. That's that's brand helmets. Like I get it. I, I fall victim to that too. You are falling victim to it right here and now in front of everyone. But Texas is they, – they, players are dropping like flies down in Austin. BYU, They're not a good football team. BYU-Baylor would be a heck of a scene at game day, and I think Cougar fans would show out. Jake, let's let's bring you back on here. What do you think, man? Like week one, USF, and also the thought of maybe a game day to Provo for week two. It's funny even discussing game day in Provo in week two. I feel like that's – Mitch, I'm with you. I am – all right, let's cautiously, optimistically go into this week one game because look what happened last year. Arizona was an absolutely dreadful football team. They were terrible. They, I mean, and we, they played us pretty close. Granted, there's a few bounces, you know, things, you know, could have gone our way that safety, touchdown, et cetera. But it, in that game, everything's new. You know, the Arizona, they had a new coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. You know, we didn't really know what to expect. Could be similar to this USF game. I always go into these games cautious. Again, like take take my you know opinion with a grain of salt because I'm pretty sure in the 2020 season I predicted that Navy was going to beat BYU that first game of the season. And uh, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, bad, bad, bad look on my part. You know, that was me overestimating the option offense and BYU's inability to to stop the run, but. I still think that, you know, you go into this game with that mentality. It's like, and every single game this season, it's the, you know, speak softly, but carry a big stick. You know, don't go in with this like, oh, we, we feel like we should be higher in the polls. Like, I don't want any of that baloney from the players. You say, hey, we feel like we're a better team, and this, is, and this week we're going to show it. And then, you, you know, you let your work on the field, you know, show for it. So getting into that, I mean, that South Florida game, though, right, they know how to beat, or not to beat, but they, they're the last, Five or last four drives in that game, they scored touchdowns. Yeah. And three of those drives were like nine minutes long. And so, you know, I think their coach, their coaching staff, and their offensive coordinator is going to say, great. If BYU comes with the same game plan, we know how to keep Jaron Hall, keep Puka Nakua, keep, you know, Gunnar Romney, keep all those guys on the bench and just milk that clock. So there's, those are the, I mean, that's like a little bit of hesitancy I have there. That's why I'm not like predicting a four or five score uh, win for the Cougars. But just never. I mean, that that last game that BYU played in South Florida, you look at that one. It's like, yeah, clearly we were the better team, but for whatever reason, we could not stop the run. Our offense was kept off the field, and we lost that game. So if there's any little bit of that left, it's like I hope that you know Jaron Hall has a really sour taste in his mouth, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna pe- beat the pants off these guys because of what happened last time." So those, I mean, those are my thoughts. Again, you know, I I'm always a little bit more cautious. Obviously, there's optimism there, but I'm not I'm not ready to declare this one a surefire. Oh yeah, 
clear three touchdown win. For yeah, and I think that's fair because I think that's where maybe I I I, um, I think sometimes just maybe with Kalani's teams, there's been always these head scratching performances. I mean, that's been that's where. You know, Kalani, his teams have just always had that game or two where you go, what just happened there? And and you hope that it's not game one against USF because, uh, you know, even though there's so much excitement about the future with the Big 12, and that's one of the things I'm looking forward to this year is that none of these losses will suddenly be uh, an indictment on independence because y- you all know, like, li- following BYU football over the years, it's like lose one game to a group of five team, BYU's done. They're in turmoil. They're, they're, they're independent. They're just an afterthought. They need to shut down the program, move on. They, they got to get out of big time athletics. They don't need any of that this time. Like, you know, BYU knows where it's going to be. You know, what, what role does Big 12 football have in the big picture of college football? That's the bigger question. But BYU knows they're going to be in a league. I, I just think that, you know, that South Florida game is, uh, uh, you know, every time that BYU's played uh, teams in the Southeast, uh, there's just always a little bit of a struggle. And, you know, UAB was the most recent example of that. And I just think that it would be a nice kind of statement for BYU to go in there and maybe get a 10-point victory, 14 points. Like, hey, it's not the most perfect performance. You don't expect that in week one, but it's it's a, a nice win, a solid win that you kind of put it out of reach. But, uh, you know, last year with that USF game, they took a unique approach with that uh, ball control offense that was so kind of, Strange to see a team that was down big and still decide to eat up the clock. They just kind of ran out of time. Had they had maybe another five or six minutes to go, they might have tied that thing up. So you're right. I mean, that is a good point. Keep in mind, BYU did not have Keenan Peely uh, in that game. That was the first week without Keenan Foley. And so I think that was kind of maybe a little bit of a shock to the system. And Jaron didn't play too. But uh, still, I think that BYU should win. Uh, that game against USF and week two against Baylor is going to be uh, really interesting. I mean, Baylor basically, I would imagine, is preparing for BYU. Their week one opponent is Albany, so no sweat there for the Bears. They're going to take care of business. Uh, but I think that uh, week two, that's a huge game for BYU. Uh, and it's also a huge game for the league because I think that's an early barometer check of what TV ratings and streaming and viewership and the cliche eyeballs are going to deliver in a late night BYU Big 12 game in Provo. Like, does the Texas audience out in Waco and Austin, or not Austin, but uh, does that uh, central Texas area tune in to a late night? game with their team that that'll be very interesting to see what type of ratings that produces i think it could cause some momentum potentially uh for the big 12 in into negotiations which will begin for the league in uh in february of 2024 so uh that will be something that'll be interesting i do think byu comes away victorious in that baylor game i think that they do win that one i just think that baylor lost a lot i still think they're going to win the uh, the Big 12 Conference. I actually had a preseason Big 12 poll this year, and it was a lot of fun to do that uh, now being in the in the Big 12 media. And I put Baylor number one, and I will say I think that Baylor has, has the, uh, uh, the best quarterback, too, in the conference, Blake Shapin. I think he's going to be really good this year in Jeff Grimes' wide zone offense, but I still think early, I think BYU, Improv, I think they're going to get the better end of Baylor. Matt, do you think BYU takes down Baylor? 
I certainly do. If you heard my prediction earlier, eleven and one, and it's not coming in week two. I I think it being at home helps, and I think what something we need to consider. I think when making some of these picks, as you mentioned, is like how healthy is the team going to be? You know, Jake brings up that Arizona game to start the year. BYU wasn't that healthy, and there was a lot of new too. Like that was Jaron Hall was getting his feet wet, uh, and he didn't have his best receivers from camp in that game. So there was like a lot of learning on the fly. I think BYU going into this Baylor game will be a lot healthier. They were last year. Defense was decimated by the time they played Baylor. I don't think that will be the case this time around. So that, that added advantage of having more upper echelon players against a power five team will, will pay big dividends. And also I remember, I, I can't remember if you were there or not, Mitch, but talking with Ben Bywater in the spring, this Baylor game is, this is like the circle game. Probably yeah. this and Notre Dame. But this game is what fueled them in the offseason because I think a lot of players on the team felt like we got outmanned in that Baylor game. It, it, it wasn't even so much that we lost, but we weren't physical enough. They were significantly more physical than us. And that drove them in the offseason in the weight room. I think Ben Bywater put on like 15 or 20 pounds of muscle, you know, just, and sometimes that gets overblown. I, I don't always love the 20 pounds of muscle. I'm a 15 times better player, but that Baylor game clearly played a significant role in keeping these guys motivated. And so for all of those reasons, that's why I like them to beat Baylor in week two. That Baylor game too in Waco, uh, it was interesting in that post game, you know, Kalani is never going to, throw his guys under the bus as far as the players. I know back in like the, the days with Ty, there was, you know, the comments of offense needs to be more aggressive. The defense is great. And that would like drive fans irate and things like that. The only time where I think in my time covering Kalani, I've, I've covered every game that he's been the head coach. It feels like that was the one game where he kind of did not a call out, but almost just like, Hey guys, like, they did not perform. Maybe the other one was Wisconsin in 2017. But in, in against Baylor, he just flat out said, our, our guys were just outclassed. And, and I was like, wow. Like he just, that was, it was not a, we're going to look at the film. It was just simply in that moment, raw emotion. We got outclassed. We got beat physically. And there was no sugarcoating about it. It was just, hey, we got a lot of work to do. And there was no shame in losing that Baylor team because they ended up being number five and, Big 12 champs, so they were a, a great football team. Baylor was. Uh, I don't know if they're if Baylor's going to be that great again, but I do think they're good enough to win the the Big 12 and get back to the Sugar Bowl. It will be interesting, too, if, if BYU does beat Baylor, how do the pollsters then view Baylor? Because they're going into the season top 10. Do they just plummet down to you know, 20 or, or fringe out of the top 25? That's always the unique thing. You know, like, it, it then goes back to this, stupid stuff with college football with the helmets on the logos like can the media look past that hey BYU's got a lot of returning production that's a road game it's a future big 12 matchup there's a lot of lot on the line like can you factor that in and realize hey even though Baylor maybe lost that game still a good football team like don't just plummet them out of the polls that will be kind of interesting to see I think week three against Oregon is where BYU has their first hiccup I don't think offensively uh, there's a lot of questions with Oregon, but I think defensively, uh, I, I think Oregon will be very difficult. And I just think that, uh, you know, early afternoon game, I feel like BYU is a better night team personally. I feel like this 
era of Kalani teams is better at night. Back in the day when it was Lavelle teams, it was always night games made you just just nervous. You had to like you're, you had this like uh, fear that BYU was going to just struggle at night. They were always the classic noon team. Uh, but for Kalani teams, they're better in the nighttime. Day games always kind of make me uh, squirm a little bit for BYU. Oregon, though, you you think BYU is going to win this one too? Absolutely, Mitch. Uh, Hema, are you are you dying to get in here? Get in here, Hema. Well, oh well, I just uh, I don't want to cut you boys off, but uh, no, I, anyone Mitch, can I hop in. I'm gonna, I, I just I disagree. I think Oregon's a dub, and I'll let me tell you why. Thank okay. you. Me too, Hema. Okay, Austin isn't as tough a place to play as people think it is. Um, especially for a team with a brand-new coach, a brand-new quarterback. Obviously, we've heard that story. But, um, you know, this Oregon team, all the people that we were afraid of that played for Oregon, like, aren't there anymore, right? Like, Thibodeau's not there anymore. D.J. Verdell's not there anymore. Uh, Travis Dye's not there anymore. Like, those were the guys that, you know, um, we watched Pac-12 teams struggle with their last recent years. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, you know, Houston and Chris, like one thing that they'll bring is experience and both of them have experience playing at these places. I mean, the 2020 Cal team beat Oregon. Um, the 2021 Stanford team beat Oregon at Austin. And so I think that, you know, it's not as much an L as people are believe it is. I think it's, I think it's more of a dub for BYU, especially, you know, if we, if we come off a great win against South Florida and a tough win against Baylor, we have some momentum going into Austin. I think BYU can pull off that win. I think I'm just kind of enamored with uh, Oregon's defensive personnel. Like I, I just think like Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, uh, Brandon Dolores. I, I just, I, I think that's a really good defense. And if there's one defense that, and Baylor's going to be good too. Don't get me wrong with Siaki Ika in the middle of that defensive line. Like Baylor's going to be stout, but I think Oregon on the road, they've won 28 straight non-conference games too at home. Uh, they, they just, they don't go down. I think the last time they lost a non-conference home game was Boise. I want to say during the Chris Peterson era. And I know BYU's got a history of ending streaks. Wisconsin comes to mind. Nebraska with their season opener. So BYU's been that team that's ended streaks. But just something seems a little bit... Uh, it's nothing anything that like BYU can't hang with them. I think it's going to be a close football game. I just think it's one of those ones where maybe Oregon pulls off something late. Their backs might be against the wall, too, because Oregon's going to be in a week one pressure cooker on the road against Georgia. They're probably going to get thumped against the defending national champs. They'll go one and one. They'll beat Eastern Washington. But then week three, they got BYU. It's kind of maybe maybe a little bit of a back against the wall. Like you got to show something, Dan Lanning, and 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 show that you're that that next big head coach for us. I know that's it, it's kind of you know knee jerk reaction, but that's how college football works. I I just think they're kind of be a little bit of a back against the wall type of game for Oregon, assuming they lose to Georgia. I think you're wrong, Mitch. Emma, <laughs> Emma and myself are right, and three and zero. Yeah, I, you know what? So you got eleven and one, Matt. Hema, what's your season prediction for BYU? What do you got? Well, wins? I, I got, 
I so okay. The optimistic side of me says ten wins. Um, I would say the safe bet side is nine three. Um, I think you know. I think there's. I think they're going to lose Arkansas, and I think they're going to lose another weird game or two. It, I'm concerned about depth, but that's just the PTSD in me. I think this team is way deeper than like any other BYU team I've seen. I think. Uh, it, it, it's shaping up to be a special year, but it's just that little, that PTSD inside of me, you know, like the one you have that tells you, oh, new games are horrible for BYU or East Coast games are horrible for me. Like, I, I just feel like there's like some of uh, a couple more losses, but hell, I, I'm happy if I'm wrong and we go 10 and 2. <laughs> yeah. Jake, what do you got for BYU? What's, what do you think their win total is going to be in, in, uh, in 2022? <laughs> Sorry, Mike. My- daughter's kicking me while I'm trying to change a diaper here. Uh, I I think that I mean I, I think like a nine and three is probably a safe bet here. Um optimistic that we'll be able to get some good solid wins. Yeah, if it's against Baylor or Oregon. I think getting both of those will be tough. But I just see some teams that we go up against, like an Arkansas and a Notre Dame, you know, BYU's biggest strength, probably their offensive line. And I think that there are some teams out there that have great offensive lines, great defensive lines that will be able to match and, and compete with us in a way that we won't be able to, you know, just rely on that strength to, to dominate. So, yeah. And it's just, you know, there's, there's certain depth things that I'm always thinking about. And I, you know, I'm excited to see some changes or at least some different approaches of how the defense attacks the, how you know how, how we uh, attack the run game? So, if I'm able to see that in the first couple of weeks, if I'm seeing like, oh, there is some renewed efforts or adjustments that are being made to stop the run, then I might be a little bit more optimistic for some of those games later on down the road. But again, you just never know. Like, there's you know, like uh, like guys are saying, there could be that you know, who knows? Maybe Stanford completely reverses course and Tanner McKee is like a Heisman candidate. That game can completely sneak up on us. So. There's, you know, again, I reiterate, I'm cautiously optimistic. I feel like nine and three is is that right space, but completely happy to be surprised when the BYU goes eleven and one. Yeah, I think uh, I think nine and three is a, a safe bet, and I think you know this is a team too where the I feel like the floor is much higher than previous years. I think you know last year going into the season, I think some people were saying the floor might be six and six. I, I always thought that like you know. Nine and three, eight and four. I think I think I ended up at eight and four last year, but uh, I think at the low end, eight and four for this BYU team, and that's probably factoring in some severe injuries. I, I think this team, um, it's got is is not is they're going to be a tough out is what I'm getting at, and you know you hope that the bowl situation turns out nicely for BYU. I'm not optimistic about it. I'll be completely honest. I, I think that. You know, with the with the ESPN events deal, uh, you know, you, you just hope that BYU gets rewarded with, I think, a Power 5 team. Like, if we're talking about BYU as a 10-2 and two squad, I hope ESPN moves around some serious pieces to get BYU against a Power 5 team. You know, I, I love Brett McMurphy's projection about BYU playing South Carolina in the Birmingham Bowl. And, hey, South Carolina would probably be, what, a 7-5 and five team. Spencer Rattler probably opts out of that game. Who cares? But it's an SEC team. From an optics standpoint, that's a nice uh, selling point. I don't want to see BYU go 10-2 and two or 
gosh, uh, live up to Matt's uh, prediction and go 11-1, and one, and then they're resorted to the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and they're playing some Conference USA team. Hopefully ESPN realizes, dang, this has been an incredible partner over the last, well, decades with, you know, dating back to the 80s. Hopefully they do right by BYU and get them a good bowl game, but more importantly, a good opponent that's just got some, you know, ideally power five. I mean, I, I thought 2020 was a great bowl matchup with UCF. So there's been a little bit of a precedent with the, uh, you know, bowl free agency bit BYU, I thought, got a good bowl game in 2020. Hopefully ESPN does the same in 2022 because the New Year Six, it's limited. The, the NY6 only has one at-large bowl spot, and that would go to the Cotton Bowl. And that would be pretty sweet for BYU to go back to the Cotton Bowl, even though it's not what it once was, being in, in, in Cowboy Stadium and not the traditional Cotton Bowl. But still, uh, that would be pretty cool to see BYU get into that. But I just, I still think, too... From the New Year's Six perspective, the playoff committee would say, even if BYU was 11-1, and well, they would just then say, so-and-so from the ACC or, or the SEC played nine or ten Power Five teams. That's the data point we're going to turn to to give them uh, the, the trump card over BYU, who only played five Power Five teams. So I think BYU just got to go in with the mindset of winning every game that they possibly can. And I think hopefully it, it works out in the end for them. Uh, if they go undefeated, then maybe you can dream big and, and they can somehow crack the playoff. But uh, I always get leery of uh, any uh, bowls or committees doing right by BYU because we've seen over the years that uh, these committees uh, tend to uh, knock BYU as much as they can because they don't want them in the power structure. Hey, Mitch, I think I think you're you know you're a Raiders fan. I think you yes. know the best thing of all time is just win, baby. Like BYU just needs to win, right? Like we can't hang up ourselves on the whole like you know if we if we go ten and two, like they they should do right by us and reward us for this thing. Well, you know, if BYU, if game day goes to Provo and BYU wins that game, then they win on Fox the next game. Then they win on ABC, NBC in Vegas. Like, I think just winning, like, ups your odds of, of getting some kind of respect at the end of the season than any, like, you know, number like 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 or 9 and 4 you know gets you or whatever like yeah I think there's an opportunity for BYU to get something better out of the season and they just have to win whereas like last season they felt slighted and then they didn't care about that win yeah and so yeah that that was that was frustrating that the players did not um just embrace the challenge to get that 11th win I mean, I remember in Shreveport them getting off the bus and and at, for the practice, and it was just like you could tell by the body language they did not care to be there. And I remember our, our Cougar Sports Saturday extended pregame show with Matt and I. I remember telling Matt and and Matt was we had the same predictions. I think we both said BYU would squeeze it out and win it, but it was like don't be surprised if they lose this game because you could just tell the the vibe was so bad. And even Kalani noted uh, in the springtime that he was uh, kind of embarrassed that that happened. Like he, he wants to see there's a little bit of a resolve that uh, that's not going to happen again and uh, never taking it for granted because, you know, some of these guys, they don't get the chance to ever 
line it up and play again. And some of these players won't ever get get to play it down in the Big Twelve era. So do right by this uh, by this team and and uh, you know go out on a high note and end the Independence era right. Uh, because honestly, Independence as much as many flaws as it had, and there was many, believe me. But it seems like in the end of the day, it worked out for BYU because. I don't think BYU would be a Big 12 team uh, in the future if they were a member of the Mountain West Conference. And who who else misses the the summertime uh, narratives of BYU needs to go back to the Mountain West Conference and just admit their place in college football? It's like, folks, that was okay, never Jason going to Fox. happen. That was never going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. So I think this year has the making to be a special year. I'm excited for it. Um, okay, I've got to go and put my daughter down for a nap. You well, do that, Emma. Chatting with you boys. <laughs> Good chatting as always, man. I'll see you around in Provo. And uh, hey, it, it, looking forward to the, the work on your coaches' shows. Emma will be uh, doing a great job with the uh, Kalani Satake show. Is the seat link open? Is the seat request yes. link? Um, they're open. The, the school pushes them out, so you know they'll come out via Greg Rubel. Um, Tuesdays and I think Monday nights, but uh, okay. yeah, everyone come out and watch. The it's in Studio C. There's lots of seating. We'd love to see all of you guys there. Um, and this year's going to be special. I switched it up a bit. There's a little bit of a little bit more juice in the Kalani Sataka show this year. So cool. Uh, hopefully, you guys can make it out. Cool. Thanks, Sam. We'll talk. To, we'll talk soon. Man. Save us. Save us some front row seats, Sam, and then I'll consider it. <laughs> anytime. Yeah. Anytime. My KSL Sports Boys get seats. Yeah. Kalani like looks at us at the front row like what are you, what are you guys doing here? I just saw you in the, the media scrum like what are you doing here? Yeah. Hey, we just Brett Pine shaking his head. <laughs> oh, he would just be so ashamed. Like what are you guys doing? <laughs> hey, Emma said we could. Anyway. Yeah. All right, boys. We'll talk hey, to you later. See you, Emma. See you, Emma. Uh, yeah. So BYU football, it's it's going to be a fun year. I can't wait for it. Uh, I'm curious too. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested this Saturday with BYU-USF. What's the turnout for BYU fans? I think it's going to be probably a good turnout. I was looking at the seating chart for Raymond James Stadium, and I'm telling you, Matt, I've, I'm finding a way to get on that boat. I want to light that cannon so bad like Chris Berman would on the two-minute drill. I got to do that somehow, some way. But uh, I, I'm curious to see how many BYU fans show up because there's a strong contingent of Cougar Nation in the Southeast, so that'll be kind of interesting to see uh, what the turnout is like. But I got to say, too, I, I do think Jaron Hall is is motivated uh, to get revenge for that game. I think we asked him uh, at media day, like, if that game is, even though it's his first game, like, yeah, it's circled, but does that have a little bit extra pop to you? And uh, he's like, I don't want to hold grudges, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that game... Uh, uh, holds a little bit of significance. So I think that element's in play here, too, coming up on Saturday, which uh, I'm looking forward to to, to see Jaron uh, have some success with this offense coming up Saturday at 2, which, by the way, Matt and I, on Saturday, we will have extended pregame beginning at 10 a.m. on KSL News Radio, live from Tampa. So make sure to tune in for that. Also on KSL 5 TV, so when Big Noon kickoff and other pregame shows, yes, I'm not acknowledging the other one because it's went downhill so far. <laughs> Even though I have a, I have a, uh, uh, I still secretly would love to like embrace it once again, but it's like, dang it, it's not what it once was. 
Um, once those pregame shows are over, flip it over to KSL 5 TV. Uh, there will also be a television pregame show. You'll see my ugly mug on television uh, coming up on Saturday as well on Channel 5 and the KSL TV app. So the coverage is going to be nuts this year, Matt. Uh, the busy season is upon us. It's it's a beautiful time, and I'm I'm just so glad college football, BYU football is back. I know it makes makes life busier. I'm going to probably be saying goodbye to my wife and kids uh, probably tonight and say wish them farewell until Christmas. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's going to be a fun year this this season. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I think the extended pregame cover is going to be fun. We'll, we'll be doing that a lot for a lot of games this year. And this Twitter spaces, man, has been sweet. I think this might need to be our post-game haven Twitter spaces afterwards. But, yeah, it's, and I guess one last thing for me before I dip. This has been great. Um, your point on the fans, I think this is going to be a record turnout, Mitch. I, Interesting. It's gonna be, it, there's going to be a lot of places that BOU doesn't get to for a while. Like, think about the Bay Area at the end of the year. When, when are they going to yeah. get back to the Bay Area? I just think with Independence coming to a close, I get the sense that BOU fans are going to show out on the road. That's a great point. I, I didn't I didn't factor that in, but uh, I, I think Cougar fans they will show out because I just think there's so much to be excited about with BYU football, and I think and I think too that the I think a lot of the excitement and again, if someone wants to chime in and share their thoughts, by all means, I, I want to like Matt said, we want to use this uh, coming up in the season. We're going to use it often during uh, you know in in, in season. Uh, we're going to do a lot of these Twitter spaces, so we're going to have a lot of fun with this, but. Uh, I, I just think too that Cougar Nation is is really excited about just the direction of the team, not only from the wins side of it, but I think also like the wins, the way they're playing, and I think Kalani has kind of won over a lot of people too. That uh, you know, a few years ago, I think there was a feeling when they lost in Tampa in 2019. I think the consensus was this guy's done; he's going to get fired. And and I remember walking away from that game thinking. Yeah, we might not be talking to Kalani much after this uh, because they were two and four, and they were staring down some tough games with Boise State, a nationally ranked team, and and to see that change and to see the evolution of how much has changed with this program and a once in a lifetime pandemic is thrown in the middle of it all. Uh, it's pretty remarkable to see what's happened. So uh, it, it's going to be a fun year. We're going to have you covered on KSLSports.com. I know this time of the year. I always find myself kind of like listening to college football theme songs to get ready. Like as coming in, like I just, I love college football themes. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. Like, just like I'm listening to all that, but I'm not going to bore you anymore. I'm going to sign off. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Cougar Tracks. We'll do more of these Twitter spaces in the future. So catch you next time here on Twitter spaces, but also subscribe to Cougar Tracks podcast on kslsports.com. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com 
or wherever you get your podcasts.